You're listening to episode 161 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is the biblical significance of Egypt. You're listening to Christian Travelers Network, the podcast and platform where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, I am so glad that you are tuning in today. We're going to be exploring Egypt and some of the unique aspects of its biblical history. But before we dive into that, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources. We were planning to launch our platform in June, but we ran into some technical difficulties. But please stay tuned because once you head to our website and sign up for our email list, you can continue to find out the latest information about when that platform will be available. It's a great place to post trips, invite friends, connect with other travelers and more. And we're so excited that that will be coming hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. We're excited for the official launch. But without further ado, today we're looking at the story of Egypt and some of the significant things that happened in scripture in Egypt specifically. And many of us think of the Exodus where the Israelites wandered for 40 years, leaving Pharaoh uh, in pursuit of Israel. But were there other events that happened and how much of their wanderings actually were in Egypt? So today we're going to explore a little bit deeper into that. So the first person that is mentioned in Egypt is Abraham. The Lord calls him from the land of Ur to wander towards the promised land. And um, in so doing, his travels take him past Jerusalem and to Ramses, Egypt, a place that isn't physical or known as its exact location today, but we know it's near the delta of the Nile. And he spends some time there before heading back up to Beersheba in the current Israel region. Now he has one son promised to him that he has to wait 25 years for this son to be born. And this son's name is Isaac. He too travels around a little bit, but he stays primarily in the Israel area, uh, close to future Jerusalem. Now, Isaac ends up having twins, Jacob and Esau. These two were already wrestling in the womb. While Esau began to emerge first, it's Jacob that enters the world crying and uh, already beginning this wrestling match that continues into their childhood and early adult years. Jacob manages to steal the birthright of Esau and um, his father's blessing. He stole the birthright one day when Esau was so hungry that he wasn't patient enough for food. And Jacob was able to say, if you give me your birthright, well, I'll give you this food. And in exchange, Esau gives up his birthright. But then in his father's last days, um, as he's about to give his blessing to Esau, his mother actually calls him into the room and tells him to go and slaughter some goats and animals and to take the skin and put it on his arms. Esau was very hairy. So Jacob was trying to pretend to smell like he had just come from the farm to be hairy like his brother. 
And in so doing, his father mistakes him and gives the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. Esau momentarily, after Jacob leaves, comes into the room to get the blessing. And it's not that great of one. It is kind of the result of Jacob getting the better half. So in fear of Esau being angry with him, Jacob bolts, but he doesn't head towards Egypt. Um, He heads further north and that's where he meets um, his relative Lot, ends up marrying uh, Rachel and Leah. And then um, after serving for 20 years and Lot continuing to steal the blessing that is on Jacob, Jacob bolts again, this time with all of the blessings of family and uh, 12 kids, I think at the time or shortly then after, um, all the herds that he had gotten and so many things, and they head back towards the land he left. And uh, on his way, he encounters Esau and it's a whole ordeal. But it's eventually uh, Jacob kind of settles back down near the future promised land until later in his life, one of his 12 sons will lead him officially to uh, Taurus or Zone, Z-O-A-N, would have been kind of the area also near the delta of the Nile where he will settle for his last days on earth before um, being brought back to, to the promised land to have his bones lay at rest. Now, many of us know the 12 siblings of Jacob didn't get along. Jacob having two wives, the rivalry already uh, started because he had favoritism towards one over the other, same with the children, etc. So as um, Joseph, being the favorite child, gets the cloak of many, the coat of many colors, he ends up being kind of picked on by his brothers. He also has these really incredible visions um, that make his brothers angrier. So as a result, they throw him in a pit and they decide to sell him off into slavery. This is what leads him into Egypt. He ends up serving Potiphar um, for a time before Potiphar's wife makes a move. And when he doesn't respond how she wants, um, She accuses him of committing some incredible sins of adultery, etc. And so he gets thrown into prison for a time until eventually the king has this vision about famines and uh, different things happening in Egypt. So he comes, he interprets a dream, and he gets put in second command to Pharaoh. He ends up like building storehouses and building wells so that they can collect rainwater and all these things. And people from all around come to Pharaoh in the seven years of famine after the seven years of blessing. And they collect all of these goods. And in so doing, eventually uh, the Israelites become slaves because in exchange for many of these things, uh, Pharaoh asks, you know, for, you know, their land or a portion of their crops. And eventually over the seven years, they run out of things to give Pharaoh in exchange for these goods. And many people end up in slavery. And that's not just the Israelites, but that's kind of what sets them on this trajectory of 400 years in slavery in the land of Egypt around this area of Ramses and of Tanis. Um, And so this is kind of where they spend a lot of their time. 
So if you're visiting Egypt, this is kind of the central point of where many things happen. And we can look at the stories of Moses and how he fled and he ended up at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, kind of ex- inter-exchangeable names, uh, according to some scholars. And he has the burning bush experience, which um, is skeptically believed to be um, on the Sinai Peninsula, which is in modern day Egypt as well. And then he goes back to the people, leads them out to the promised land. So that whole journey is largely through the Sinai Peninsula as they follow the Red Sea. Well, they cross uh, over to the peninsula um, through the Red Sea, and then they follow the edge of the peninsula around until they go up into Israel, which if you don't know the geography of this area, it's crazy to me just how close these things are. In my mind, um, I kind of think they're further apart, but they are truly touching each other where Egypt is butted up against Israel and Jordan and Palestine's in there too. And so that whole area is very significant, um, but we're focusing specifically again on Egypt. So we see the route in which the Israelites took kind of following the Mediterranean Sea, going around the peninsula and the Red Sea, and eventually reaching the promised land. If you Google it, you can find a lot of cities along here um, that have biblical names and some that have modern names that show us kind of where we guesstimate that they traveled. If you're visiting Egypt, kind of following that coast can give you an idea of just how much wilderness and uh, desert land they had to cross through and how significant a water source would have been for them at the same time. Now, once they get to the promised land, the story changes back to significant places in Israel. But um, what about going on past the time of Moses? Were there any other people who spent time in Egypt? Well, I took a closer look, and as expected, King David would have ruled out of Jerusalem, King Solomon as well. But one of the things that ended up being Solomon's downfall was that he actually married one of the Egyptian daughters, uh, or Pharaoh's daughters, um, and one of the betrothal gifts was actually land from Egypt. This ultimately led to his downfall because he was breaking the commands of the Lord in Deuteronomy, where they were only supposed to marry within the tribe of Israel, um, but he had chosen to marry outside of it, bringing other gods and worship beliefs into his kingdom. Later on, one of Solomon's servants, Jeroboam, ended up being the individual to plot a plan against King Solomon, and uh, the plot luckily did not succeed, but he ended up fleeing to Egypt. And again, we see Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is attacked by one of the Egyptian pharaohs um, and kind of begins this cycle of other rulers stepping in and taking over the land of Israel when they turned away from the Lord. And last but certainly not least, we see Jesus actually spent some time in Egypt. Shortly after he was born in Bethlehem, King Herod decided to kill a number of the baby baby boys born in the region because he didn't want some other earthly king to upset his rule. So he had asked the wise men, you know, let me know when you find this king um, because I want to go meet him. But the wise men saw in a dream that they shouldn't go that way. 
they understood that King Herod wanted to eliminate this baby. And when King Herod realized the wise men were not coming back, he got mad. He slaughters quite a few babies. So that's why Joseph was told in a dream to leave Bethlehem and head to Egypt. And they stayed there until King Herod died. Then they returned to Nazareth, the land that uh, Joseph and Mary were originally from and settled down there. So that's where a majority of Jesus's childhood would have been, but he did spend a significant portion first in Egypt. So just taking a moment to look at that big picture, it really makes you wonder, you know, where did they spend their time? And scripture doesn't fully tell us, but today you can see that a lot of the Egyptian tourism board is promoting that there's actually 25 sites known where the Holy Family visited in Egypt. While I couldn't find biblical evidence to back that up, um, it's, I suppose it's always possible that local historians have documented things accurately um, of visitors that they had in those regions at the time. Alternatively, it seems that a lot of the Orthodox Church holds a lot of belief systems in this area, and so these may be um, beliefs and practices that come from their origin and line of thinking. So I hope that you learned something interesting today, a little bit about the biblical significance of Egypt. In the coming weeks, we'll be interviewing and talking with some people who have visited Egypt and can highlight some of these places in further depth as to what we can see today and also some of their experiences there too. Additionally, I'll be sharing some of the highlights of things to see and do in those areas, but uh, let's take some time this week to really ponder why these places may be significant and how we can incorporate them into our travels as well. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, hit that subscribe button, and of course, leave a review. Those are three great ways to encourage more listeners to find us, connect with us, um, and continue to bring Christ back into the center of our travels. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.